Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 147 of the Box Hard Podcast. If this were a weight class, it'd be welterweight, of course. I am your host, Joey Coastman. I'm also joined, as ever, by Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how are you doing? I'm good, Joey. Yourself? Very good, my friend. Very good. Let's start with the reviewing. There's a lot to go over. We're going to start, actually, in the Technology Park in Redfern, New South Wales, Australia. This one was shown on Box Nation. I believe it started about 10.30 a.m. last Friday. It was also shown on the ESPN Plus app in the United States. One fight to mention on the undercard. The son of Kostazu, Tim Tazu. He moved to 10-0. and Double-figure wins now. A win against Stevie Ferdinandus, who's now 27 and 16 with one draw it was for the wbc asian boxing council continental super welterweight title that still belongs to tim tazu um also the main event here of course we had billy dib 43 and 4 the former ibf world champion taking on tevin farmer 25 and 4 with one draw tevin farmer of course a man that i said last week you know he's he certainly deserves to be a world champion very very unfortunate circumstances he's had to go through and this one was for the vacant ibf world super featherweight title now the fight itself um I felt that Farmer started brilliantly straight away. You know, he made Dib walk into um, into his shots pretty much from the first bell. Tevin, you know, he didn't need any time to warm into the fight. It was a brilliant, brilliant start to the fight from him. He had a great first round. Um, in the second round, Dib was actually given a warning for for a little bit of a naughty punch actually after referee called break it was it was quite silly from billy actually um very scrappy second round um lots of tying up but um you know more more punch output from from farmer at that point so i gave him that round also in the third round tevin landed the much cleaner shots there and billy was starting to look frustrated as early as that third round and his face was starting to mark up a little bit in the fourth round tevin just looked to be the much fresher of the two um, you know, he had the spring in his step, and after four rounds, it was Tevin who, like I say, was getting off first when the pair were exchanging. He was using his fantastic footwork. Billy Dib was looking a little bit pedestrian. He seemed like, you know, his tactics weren't really working. His plan was to try and walk through Farmer's shots, it would seem, to try and land big ones himself. It just completely wasn't working for him. Um, in the fifth round, it was probably the most competitive round at that point. Tevin was stepping in and out with the jab, though, hitting Billy a lot. It was another round for Tevin in my book, um, but the pace actually slowed a little bit from Tevin. Billy was able to land quite a few neat, you know, nice little shots himself, um, but still, like I say, a Tevin Farmer round. It was another round for Tevin in the sixth round. Um, lots of pot shot in from Farmer. Like I say, Billy was getting very frustrated. He was walking in recklessly. You know, he, he wasn't 
showing a great defence at all, and there was no head movement with it either. He was walking into a lot of shots, and even if they didn't have much power, some of these shots, they were all still scoring shots. Um, at that halfway point, I had it a shutout to Tevin Farmer. In the seventh round, Tevin got caught with a nice short left hook from Billy Dib, which actually seemed to momentarily stun Farmer. But the referee immediately stopped the action to issue a warning. It was very bad timing for Billy Dib. I mean, you know, he came out with intent in that seventh round for some reason, and he started, you know, he started the round very fiery, and he seemed like he was really starting to just go for broke now. Um, both men went on to land. Big looking left hooks later in that seventh round. It was a competitive round, but in the last 45 seconds or so, I felt that Tevin showed his class, and I believe he stole that round, actually. In the eighth round, it was a good round. Um, you know, Tevin obviously being the much sexier boxer. The eye-catching stuff came from him. His movement, his quick hands, they were very impressive. Billy did land some good shots once again. It was a close round, to be honest, but I'd probably still edge it to Tevin because, you know, his evasiveness was so brilliant in that round, and Billy missed a lot of you know a lot of big shots the referee at every opportunity it was kind of winding me up he kept 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 giving billy dib a telling off it was just winding me up he just kept being on billy's case in the ninth round it was a fairly competitive round until billy took a hard left hook from farmer which made billy's legs give way and he went down a 10-8 round for farmer at this point um billy dib's coach Jeff Fennick actually was ready to, to throw the towel in at that point. Um, Billy did get back up from the knockdown and he did survive the remaining 15 or so seconds, but the towel was in Jeff Fennick's hand. Now in the 10th round, Tebbin Farmer started very fast and Dib reacted by trying to clown Farmer. He was, you know, he was pulling faces, he was sticking his tongue out and he actually seemed to draw Tevin into a little bit of a fight, but Tevin still got the better of the exchanges and he grabbed that round. He just, you know, at that point seemed like he had more in the tank than Billy, you know, he'd, he'd handed out a lot of punishment, and Billy didn't have too much energy left at that point. Then, after that 10th round, all of a sudden, the Box Nation feed went down, and it only resumed when the 11 and 12 rounds had actually ended. So it ended, the whole broadcast kind of thing, at the end of the 10th round. And then, as soon as the fight had finished, I'm not quite sure what happened in, in rounds 11 and 12, like I say, but all I did know was that without Billy Dib scoring any kind of knockout, I think it wasn't even a, a case of a few knockdowns, he needed a knockout to win that fight. I had it to Tevin Farmer by a complete shutout from rounds 1 to 10. Rounds 11 and 12, I didn't see. Like I say, bad from Box Nation there. It ended up picking up when they were in the ring after the fight and you know I saw the post-fight interview from Tevin Farmer very fiery he's looking at people like Javonte Davis that's a fantastic fight down the line for him um, perhaps not in the too distant future either and Billy Dib it was of course the the polar opposite really he was so so emotional it was very very hard to watch being a good friend of his and um, he decided to call it a day it was very very emotional honestly it's one of those things you watch and it's very hard to kind of keep the tears um, keep the tears back it was real emotional and um, I just want to say I really wish Billy Dib the, the absolute best in whatever he does decide to do I know that it's, it's you know he's not going to be in the ring again but whatever he does decide to do I hope that it's you know something that he can succeed in um so yeah, he retires from boxing. A little piece of news there, a former world champion, of course, a man that was bullied at school and was scared to go to school. And then he completely, 
you know, turned to boxing, became a good amateur, and then went on to turn professional and win a world title. And just there, he was able to fulfil a dream and fight for a world title on Australian soil. So um, credit to Billy Dibb, a fantastic fighter he's been. And sad to see him leave, especially like that. But all the very best to Tevin Farmer, like I say, a man that really deserved to be a world champion. And he came in Billy Dibb's backyard and he put on an absolute display. He really did. It was a complete boxing lesson. And he just really, really impressed me. Fantastic fighter is Tevin Farmer. A bright future for him. That's it for Australia, though. Moving over now to a fight that actually happened at the Palacio de Congresos in Marbella, Spain. Kerman Leharaga, the former opponent of Bradley Skeet, the man that knocked Bradley Skeet out and looked absolutely fantastic. Um, he got in the ring. It was like a keep busy kind of fight. Obviously, he's fighting Frankie Gavin later on in the year. He took on a guy. It was supposed to be um, that guy that Ricky Burns knocked out with the best padded record in, in the whole of boxing history, Michele De Rocco. But he ended up taking on a guy called Johnny Navarrete at late notice. Navarrete actually got knocked out in six rounds by Kerman Leharaga, so he's still undefeated there. Um, this guy, I'm just having a look at it, Navarrete. He hasn't won a fight since 2016, and he's lost four on the spin now, including one knockout in three rounds to Jaime Munguia. Hey. How about that one for the books? Right, that's it for Spain. Moving over now to the Ice Arena in Cardiff, Wales, United Kingdom Ayers. Obviously, Joe Caldina topped the bill here. A bit of a homecoming for him. Um, let's start with the undercard, actually. Let's start with the undercard. Um, we're going to talk about Scotty Cardle, his first fight without... Joe Gallagher in the corner. He moved to 23 wins, two losses, and one draw. A points win against Michael Mooney. Gamal Yafai moved to 15 and one. It was a TKO against Jose Aguilar, who that is actually his 51st loss now. Aguilar. It was a body shot, um, a left hook from Gamal Yafai. He returns after that loss to Gavin McDonald. A brilliant way to come back there. Um, Anthony Sims Jr., a guy who I believe fights somewhere ab around the light heavyweight kind of weight. Um, he moved to 15-0. and 0. I think he's been out the ring for two years or something like that. He's just signed with Eddie Hearn. He's actually cousins with Floyd Mayweather Jr. He made his debut with Eddie Hearn, and he actually knocked out in four rounds Stanislav Etchner, who now has a record of 10-10 and 10 with one draw. Cody Davies, he also fought back home. He moved to 6-0, and 0, a points win over six rounds against Anthony Fox. Cody Davies, a fighter under the Haymaker Ringstar Promotions banner. Um, Danny Yalu Usanov moved to 3-0. It was a points win over six rounds against Gabor Gorbix, who's now 24-12. Yelusinov, um, it was weird, because when the Sky broadcast started on TV, they went straight into the ring, and it was the end of the fight with Yelusinov, so I didn't see anything of it. But what I do know is that Yelusinov was cut um, once again. I mean, he's you know he's had this recurring cut in the same place, and it's quite a nasty-looking one. Um, he's had that kind of haunt him a few times in his amateur career but yeah uh, you know he shut out this guy but again he didn't get the knockout a lot of people starting to wonder if he's as good as they say he's certainly seeming like it's pretty hard for him to adjust to the pro ranks obviously a former Olympic gold medalist in 2016 Jordan Gill moved to 21 and 0 it was a TKO in the first round against David Burner. David Burner, um, he was down twice there. His record now 16 and 5. David Burner's actually the guy that fought Michael Conlon earlier this year. And Michael 
O'Conlon actually needed um, two rounds to get rid of him. So Jordan Gill does it in one, quite impressive. I think um, the last guy to beat this guy in a round was Oleg Malinovsky, a prospect. But other than that, that's quite impressive from Jordan Gill. Um, Sean McGoldrick moved to 7-0, and a win against Dylan McDonough, who was undefeated in three. His record now 3-1. and one. It was an eight-round points win for Sean McGoldrick. Um... Let's let's jump to the main event here. Joe Caldina, he put his WBA international lightweight title on the line. He also was fighting for the vacant Commonwealth lightweight title against the former holder of the belt eyes, Sean Mashadod, 15 and 3 with one draw. Now it's 15 and 4 with one draw. A unanimous decision in favor of Joe Caldina, who's now 8 and 0. A promising prospect, but a fight here where he certainly had to think to get the win eyes. Oh yes, what a win for Joe Caldina. I mean, Joe Caldina boxed very very good. I mean, well, I mean, well done to Joe Cordina. Um, he boxed very good. His jab, his range of move. I think he's going to be a world champion in the future. But at the moment, it's just a learning game for him. So I think he just needs a couple of more. I think he needs a couple of more fights before he gets to that level. I think he needs to go British level, European level. Then I'll ask him I'll go for a world level. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Um, you know, the kid's got a bright future, but um, one step at a time. I think he knows that himself. You could tell from the post-fight interview. Um, I've actually left the most shocking fight of the night till last here. Natasha Jonas, 6-0. and uh, She fought for the, I think it was actually her belt. Yeah, it was. The WBA International Female Super Featherweight title. She took on Vivian Obernauf, who we've seen here twice before. Her record, 12-4. and um, One loss, of course, came to Katie Taylor over six rounds on points. And the other loss came... Well, the losses in the UK I'm talking about, out of the four, two of them happened over here. The other loss came to Chantel Cameron, in which she retired on her store after six rounds. I think it was an eight or ten rounder. Um, so, yeah, this was Natasha Jonas's turn to get a win over Obernauf. And, you know, we were going to get the measuring stick out and see how it compared to Chantel Cameron and Katie Taylor's wins. But it went horribly wrong for Natasha Jonas. She was down twice in the third round and once in the fourth round. In the end, Joe Gallagher was made to throw the towel in. Um, a, a TKO there in the fourth round for Vivian Obernauf, who doesn't speak a word of English, but she's managed to grab a bunch of fans with, I guess, her body shape and her, her pretty face. A lot of people were liking that. Um... What I will say is they were translating what Obernauf said, and she seemed like a real nice lady. Um, I know that she made, she took advantage of, I think it was 14 to 1 or 16 to 1, and she put some money on herself to win, so credit to her. But an unbelievable upset there, Ayaz. Obviously, they're talking about Natasha Jonas just being one fight away from a world title fight. Not anymore. Yes, you're right about that. But Joe Gallagher's stable is not looking very, very good at the moment. I can tell you that for a fact. Um, recently, we saw Liam Smith lost. We saw Natasha Jonas lost. There's Callum Smith fighting George Groves. That's a very tough fight, which I think, in my opinion, Callum Smith is going to lose that fight. But um, it's, I mean, it's boxing is a winning game at the moment. You lose, obviously, you win back. I think this. I think obviously Natasha Jones. I think from this fight, I think what's going to happen. I think personally, she's going to have a couple of more fights, and I think she'll go again. But I mean, hopefully, she'll come back for the future, and hopefully, we'll, we'll see her with. Um, hopefully, we'll see that Katie Taylor fight in the future. It's not looking a brilliant thing right now for for Miss GB, um, Natasha Jonas. Her against Katie Taylor. Ooh, it's not on my Christmas list for sure. Um, 
Yeah, and watch what you're saying about um, about about Joe Gallagher. As we will be speaking to Callum Smith later on in the show, but the fight itself here, Obanalf, um, she came out in the first round. She hit Natasha way too often straight away. Natasha was walking back in straight lines. I think that they picked up on that on the commentary. Um, Obanalf certainly won that first round. It was a closer round in the second round, but I'll probably edge it to Obanalf again. You know, she certainly came to fight. Um, she was putting lots and lots of pressure on Jonas, really bringing the fight to her and in the third obviously Jonas got caught with a long right hand and you know it it really did travel some distance and she got back up and she did so well to get back up but then she got knocked down again by another barrage of shots a 10-7 round so a massive massive round in favour of Obernauf I couldn't actually believe that Jonas got back up from that second knockdown either um, credit to her, you know, she didn't show any quit at all, that is one thing that you certainly need in boxing, when times go hard, you, uh, you, you know, if you've got some quitting you, it usually comes out, but she didn't have any quit in her, she was too brave for her own good, in the fourth round, obviously, Jonas got dropped again by a right hand, and then a little bit later in the round, with about 15 seconds to go, bear in mind, these are two minute rounds, Jonas walked into a few shots, and arguably, in my opinion anyway, the ropes actually held her up from going down for the second time in that round. Um, So yeah, it could have been called a knockdown in my opinion, but the referee was really thinking about jumping in at that point anyway, so it didn't really matter too much. But Joe Gallagher, like I say, threw the towel in and stopped it. But yeah, it seems like levels have been shown here, and she seems to not quite be on Chantel Cameron or, um, or Katie Taylor's level here. But yeah, leaving Wales alone and moving out now to the... Uh, the main events card actually in New Jersey, USA at the Mark G. Atess Arena, I believe it's called, in the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino. Um, what do we have here? On the undercard we had Dennis Duglin, a friend of the show, 20-6. and six. He was in there against Vaughn Alexander, 12-0, and 0, a former prisoner actually. I think he did about 10 years. He's the brother of Devin Alexander who strangely was fighting on the exact same night last Saturday but in completely different places. Um, I'm not quite sure if they get along. I'm, I could be wrong. But yeah, Vaughn Alexander was 12-0 and 0, undefeated and Dennis Duglin said on this show if he loses, he's retiring. Well, he doesn't need to retire because it was a unanimous decision in favour of Dennis Duglin he practically shut out Vaughn Alexander. Very, very pleased for Dennis Duglin. His record now 21-6. and six. Dimitri Bivol, he moved to 14-0. and oh, He successfully defended his WBA World Light Heavyweight title against Isaac Chalemba, who is now 25-6 and six with two draws. You predicted a Bivol knockout. So did the listeners, and I went with Biv one point, so I was so happy about this one. It's weird, because on the Prediction League, we all went with Kovalev by knockout, which I was quite certain of. Obviously, we're going to get onto that in a moment, but we know how that one went. And then we, of course, all went with Alexander to win on points. We're going to get onto that in a moment as well. And I'm just going to say that both of those predictions from us all completely went wrong. And the only one that we disagreed on was Bivol to win on points I went with, and Bivol by knockout yourself and the listeners which didn't happen so one point gained and it was my point so I'm happy about that I'm trying to catch up um, Dimitri Bivol though let's talk about this fight here just a second Iaz did you happen to see it at all I know that they didn't show it I actually had to find a stream did you see it no unfortunately I didn't see I didn't, I didn't see the fight 
yeah they're making it hard for us to see these fights they truly are but yeah um just a quick rundown here obviously dimitri bivol you know his punch variety was absolutely brilliant on saturday night sneaky uppercuts up close chilemba's always a real tough customer i knew that that's why i said points um chilemba was you know he was popping out the jab nicely actually to the point where he managed to mark up bivol's eye as early as the fourth round he showed a, gr a real real brilliant jab actually um chilemba but yeah, Bivol for me, you know, he's, he's just improving all the time. Roy Jones Jr. was actually in the corner with Chilemba. Um, it wasn't the most captivating fight I've watched, I've got to be honest. Bivol dominated pretty much every round, so you can't ask for much more. Chilemba, like I say, is very, it's very, very hard to stop him. And Chilemba can be quite a spoiler at times. He can be very negative, as we saw against Kovalev. You know, he knows how to stick in there. But in this fight, he wasn't actually negative. He gave it his all. He came to Bivol, which you'd have imagined would have probably suited Bivol's style and possibly presented the opportunity for a knockout. But it didn't look like it was going to happen at any point. And it was a good technical fight. It was a good learning fight for Bivol. It was good to get the rounds in, but it wasn't really the most impressive win I've seen. And like I say, I was the only one to to predict a Bivol points win, so I was really happy with that. It's interesting to see the final punch stats, actually. Bivol obviously threw more shots, but he threw something like, I think it was 450 punches in 36 minutes, and he landed 150. Chilemba landed 75 shots. That's 225 punches landed in total between both guys, which is roughly one punch landed every 10 seconds of the 36 minutes that the fight went. So a little bit of mass there, but it, you know, to, to, to just land one punch every 10 seconds doesn't really sound like an action-packed fight because it wasn't. Um, that's it for that one. Like I say, Dimitri Bivol now, 14-0, certainly looking, you know, like a few big fights going to be happening for him in the near future, but... It was set up to be him and Sergei Kovalev later this year, perhaps around December time. Well, that has been derailed by Alida Alvarez. Sergei Kovalev, though, he went into the bout with a record of 32-2 and with one draw. He got KO'd in seven rounds by Alida Alvarez, the previously undefeated Canadian fighter by way of Colombia, I believe. Still undefeated. He has a record now of 24-0. and It was for the IBA and WBO World Light Heavyweight titles. Kovalev was down three times in that seventh round. But the fight itself, the first round I thought was quite close. It was difficult to score. I think that Kovalev probably landed the better shots, but Alvarez's speed meant he was able to outland Kovalev a little bit, I felt. So probably an Alvarez round. Only jabs were really being thrown, though. It wasn't any big right hands or anything at that point. In the second round, Alvarez landed two nice right hands in the second round. Um, the speed, again, was very key. He landed a good 1-2 combination and then a singular right hand. It was definitely an Alvarez round there. I actually gave the third round to Kovalev. He was starting to cut the ring off really well. He was getting closer to the target. Alvarez wasn't keeping Kovalev at bay as often as he did in the first two rounds. So Kovalev was getting closer. And Kovalev repeatedly was going to Alvarez's body with the right and left hooks. I found that quite interesting. In the fourth round, Kovalev had a great round. Big success 
fights with all of his shots, body, head, left hooks, right hooks, jabs, power punches. Alvarez took some really, really good shots. He looked in trouble, actually. His legs dipped at one point, and Kovalev was getting even closer at this point. Alvarez showed his toughness, but nobody can keep taking that many shots, you'd believe. Kovalev landed 25 power punches in that fourth round, which is unbelievable that his opponent, whoever he was, was still on his feet. I mean, not many statues could take 25 shots from Kovalev in three minutes and still be standing up. Um... I mean, compare that to the Bivol fight, by the way. The final punch stats there, you know. Alvarez did showcase a brilliant jab. And when he does pop it out, Kovalev wasn't enjoying it. Kovalev was showing good head movement, though. Um, you know, hitting and not being hit in that fourth round. In the fifth round, though, the pace slowed a little bit from round four. No real telling punches were landed. Kovalev... I'd say probably edged that round. I think that was where he was starting to take over in terms of on the scorecards. In the sixth round, once again, Kovalev, in my opinion, won that round. Um, Kovalev seemed to make Alvarez's legs dip when he landed a short right hook on the inside. Kovalev, when he was letting his hands go, was very, very accurate. Now, in the seventh and final round, boy, oh boy, Alvarez... He actually fell short with a jab and stepped in with a big overhand right that dropped Kovalev. It was a temple shot. Kovalev, when he got back up, you know, he got hurt by by uh, by a jab straight away. Then he got hit with a big left hook and a right hand, and he was down for the second time there. Now, the third and final knockdown came when Alvarez once again landed a big right hand around the back of Kovalev's guard, followed by a left uppercut and then a right hand for good measure on the side of the head as Kovalev was going down. Wow, I mean, you know, now I know why Adonis Stevenson was paying this guy step-aside money to not have him as a mandatory for about two years, or three years even. Obviously, Adonis Stevenson didn't want no part of him, and we've just seen why he's a real player in that light heavyweight division. What I will say, a lot of criticism online, actually, after this, saying that Kovalev is no good, Andre Ward ruined him, all this rubbish. He was winning the fight, for God's sake. He got caught by a peach of a shot, and he didn't recover. He got dropped three times, and he still showed the character to try and keep on going. He's not finished by any stretch of anyone's imagination. Anthony Yarb was sat ringside for this one. He was going to be eyeing up Kovalev because he's now number one in the WBO. And I tell you what, I'm sure he's very happy. I think he'll much prefer the, the Alvarez fight. Um, I'm pretty sure he would because Kovalev has got that absolute killing power, quite literally, even though I don't like to say that. Um, you know, he's an absolute killer. And Alvarez, I don't think, does have that power. But obviously, he's a brilliant boxer and he's got a great chin. So him against Anthony Yard, I'm certainly up for that one. Um, one thing I would like to say is that I think um, Badu Jack against Alvarez would be a great fight. I tweeted that afterwards. Badu Jack actually retweeted it. I think he fancies that as well. Um, literally 20 minutes after the fight had ended, though, Kovalev started a live periscope. And I was thinking, like what the hell is going on here kind of thing and you know I jumped on it to have a little look and it was very sad you know he was he was in the back of an ambulance on his way to the hospital with the sirens on and he was actually apologizing to the fans for letting them down um I felt that you know it was it was a little taste to some people that don't know what it's like you know for the real harsh reality of boxing sometimes he was on his own lonely in the back of that ambulance and if he would have won he would have been surrounded by all of his entourage and the circumstances would have been completely different they would have been jumping around all happy and stuff like that and then you know if you lose you're in the back of the ambulance with no one by your side quite quite harsh there but all the very best to the crusher we wish him a speedy recovery um 
Alvarez, like I say, not really a big puncher, but he certainly knows how to finish a man when he's got him hurt. Um, brilliant fights down the line for him, Ayaz, but Kovalev can certainly come again. I know that age is, you know, it's a factor now. He's been in a few hard fights now, but he's not done. I just don't care. He's not done for me. What, what do you think about the whole thing? Um, I, th- I don't think I don't think Kovalev's done. I think personally, I think the weight's too tight for him at the moment. I think that I think he should just move up our weight now. Okay, interesting. I mean, imagine him at cruiserweight. Imagine him and well, I don't know if he'd end up fighting Gassiev, but him against some of the guys there. That could be interesting, actually, Eyes. I like your thinking. Um, moving over now to the Nassau Coliseum, the final bill to mention of the review. And this is a fight card that I haven't seen, so I'm just going to fly through the results here. It happened, obviously, in New York, USA. Um, we had Gary Antoine Russell. You've guessed it. You know he's the brother of Gary Russell Jr. He moved to 7-0. and It was a TKO in the first round against Jose Esquivel, who's now 10-8. and Brandon Figueroa, the brother of Omar, he moved to 16-0. and A TKO in the very first round against Luis Cruz, who was actually undefeated himself, 13-0. and No longer undefeated, my friend. Um, Richard Comey, he got another win here. A KO in the second round against Yardley Cruz, who's now 24 and 11. Richard Comey, I think it was a couple years ago now, he had like the most unluckiest year of all. Both of his losses came back to back, I believe, and they were both split decisions in his opponent's backyards. He's had to, you know, really come up the hard way. Richard Comey, a Ghanaian fighter, very, very big puncher. 27 and 2 now, another knockout for him. Uh, Marcus Brown moved to 22 and 0. Obviously, Marcus Brown has really, you know, been really, really impressing everybody since he's turned pro. And I'd like to see him stepped up, to be honest. And he's looked pretty much flawless, really. Well, he took on a guy here called Lenin Castillo, and Brown himself found himself on the canvas in round five. But he did get up to win a unanimous decision over ten rounds. So Marcus Brown, a little bit of a gut check there, but he's come for it. Twenty-two and zero now. Him. Sergei Lipinets, former world champion, moved to 14 wins. He's got one loss. It was actually a majority decision win against Eric Bone, who's 20-5. and five. I haven't seen the fight, so if you have seen it, please let us know what you thought. Was Sergei Lipinets very lucky to get that majority decision win or not? I mean, it'd be interesting because Lipinets, I'd say, is a much uh, better fighter than the likes of Eric Bone. Peter Quillen returned to the ring. I know that he'd had a fight, I think, late last year. But aside from that, I think he'd had a couple of rounds fighting in about two years. Obviously, he hasn't been on the big stage since being knocked out in the first round against Danny Jacobs. He got win number 34. He's got one loss and one draw. It was a unanimous decision. Very, very wide against Jay Leon Love. Very sad about that. Jay Leon Love. At times in that fight, I saw a couple of clips and Peter Quillen was really mugging him off, actually, making him look very stupid in there. Um, Jay Leon loves a quality, quality person, actually. Not just a good boxer, but a great, great, great man. Really kind guy. I'm sure, you know, if you've listened to this podcast when he's been on, he's, he's a real generous character. His record now 24-2 and two with one draw. Louis Calazzo got a win, actually. Win number 38. He's got seven losses. It was a majority decision over 10 rounds against Brian Perella, who a little bit of a prospect, so that's quite an upset, I believe. There, Perella now 15 and 2. But the main event, Devon Alexander 27 and 4 with one draw. He took on Andre Berto 31 and 5. Berto was down in the third round, a little bit of a dodgy knockdown. It looked like Alexander 
actually hit Berto a couple times in the back of the head, which led to the knockdown, but it ended up being a split decision in favour of Andre Berto, so a little bit of an upset, actually. We all went with Devin Alexander to win on points. The general consensus online in terms of social media and stuff like that, they all say that Devin Alexander should have won the fight, and it's two dodgy decisions in a row now, and believe it or not, those two dodgy decisions came to Andre Berto and Victor Ortiz, two men of 40 other a bunch of times, so um, very unlucky there for Devin Alexander, I'm not quite sure where he goes from here, very, very tough place he's found himself in, but all the very best to him and also Andre Berto, maybe one last crack at something big for, for, for Andre Berto there, but that's really it for the reviewing, I've tried to fly through that as quick as possible, just before we wrap up part one, there's one last thing to do, that of course is to welcome our very first guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the undefeated super middleweight star. It's, of course, Mr. Callum Smith. Callum, welcome back on the show, my friend. It's our pleasure, mate. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, my friend. How about you? Yeah, all good. All good. Top man, top man. So, Callum, we last spoke in July of last year. It's been quite a while. At that time, you just picked to fight Eric Skoglund. You'd, uh, you, you went on to beat him quite handily at the Echo Arena. After that fight, it was supposed to be Jurgen Bremer, of course. You were preparing for a southpaw for the whole of camp, and then with four days to go, out steps Bremer, in steps the relatively unknown Nicky Holzken. You had to travel to Germany for the fight. You went the distance with him. You won very wide. But how frustrating! Frustrating was that, uh, you know, to, to, for everything to really change with just a couple of days to adjust. It was very frustrating, to be totally honest with you. And you know, it sounds daft because, in my opinion, I was given an easier fight. But I liked the Bremer fight, and I'd say I'd done a full camp with Southport Spar, and, and I feel we, I was getting better each bar, and I feel we had a good game plan. And I think a win over Bremer would have not been a good win. And, would have beaten every other winner that I'd previously. So I, I felt like I was going there to make a statement and finally get a bit of credit for one of my wins, which I don't feel I've had so far in my career. Every win I've had, everyone's just always say, oh, you're supposed to win and supposed to win well and stuff. So for that to get, get took away and then get given Holskin, it was unknown. And you know, people had basically, I was getting asked for tickets for me, we grow before I'd even beat Holskin. Everyone thought it was just you know, an easy early night and it just, it was frustrating, but you know, the, the thing for me was to just win and secure my place in the final and get the world title shot against George Groves, and I feel that's what it did. And like I say, I mean, I've said it before, I feel like you do need a big name in the other corner to really get up for it. And, a, you know, a big change like that with a couple of days to go and with so much significance on the line there, like you say, for the final spot. Now, one criticism that I've seen online, which I'm sure you've seen too, is that, a lot of people say you've not been so impressive in this tournament thus far. Now, my argument would be that you fought two guys that were both unknown quantities, really. You've beaten both wide. You're also the only man in this tournament that's had to fight two undefeated fighters in a row. Uh, another thing, obviously, like I say, is that you uh, you can sometimes, I believe, Callum, fight down to your opponent's level at times. Is this criticism from the fans fair? Am I right in what I've said? How do you assess it? Um, a bit of both, really. You know, I hold my hands up. I haven't performed the way I'd have liked and the way I know I can in my previous two fights. But I also haven't had to. Like I say I've won relatively comfortable both, both fights and haven't really had to overexert myself or perform to the best of my ability. Will those two performances be enough against Groves? Probably not. I will need to be better. And 
I feel I know that and I, I train a lot better when there's a bit of fear and I know I'm in for a, a tough fight and I always feel I perform better when you know, the, the stakes are higher. So you know, I've no worries about the final. I know I'll turn up and I know I'll perform the way I know I can and if I believe I do, then I believe it, it's good enough to beat George Groves. But yeah, I think if you look at my quarterfinal, semi-final and George's quarterfinal, semi-final, then he's the man in form at the minute. But no, when the two were stepping in the ring, I believe you no know, form goes out the window, and it's all about who performed on that one night. Yeah, very well said. Now, after the Groves and Eubank Jr. fight, obviously Groves had that shoulder injury. It was a little bit of a spanner in the works. There was a big interim period where no one was quite sure what was going to happen. We'd heard rumours of other fighters replacing George. We'd heard a variety of rumoured locations for the fight to take place in. Was that a difficult period for you to stay, you know, focused? Yeah, but uh, I said the, the, the delay wasn't wasn't a problem for me. It was more just the opponents when it was rumoured it wasn't going to be George and it was going to be a replacement of no anyone or Eubank or anything like that. That was frustration because it took away the world title for me and that's what had been the main reason for this tournament to win it and become a world champion. And without George, then there's no world title. So that was the more frustrating part. So when when I realised it was not going to be George in the other corner, the actual date what didn't really matter. I had to wait one month, two months or six months as long as I got that fight. I feel like the last two years of my career have been chasing the world title fight and for that to get took away from me again, that was the frustrating part. But glad that we've got it all sorted and towards me with George, which is the fight that I want. But I feel it's the fight that the public wanted to see as well. I think it's the proper final. So all fingers crossed, all goes ahead. And my next question was going to be, now that the fight has finally been confirmed, are you happy that it is, in fact, George Groves, a worthy finalist in the other corner? You've kind of answered that question there. Um, the crazy yeah. thing is, Callum, obviously, we've got two Brits here, both fighting each other in Saudi Arabia. The fight takes place yeah. on the 28th of September, Friday. Were you shocked when you heard that it was going to happen there? And also, how do you feel about the fight being out there? I, I say I was shocked, but obviously I had rumours here and there that there was a chance it was going to be there so when it was officially announced I wasn't really too shocked but if you'd have told me before the whole tournament that I'd fight George Groves and Saad the Raver I'd have thought it was mad so, you always think of the big domestic fights in you know, the MEM, the O2 or Arena or whatever and you know, a big atmosphere and it looks like we're not really going to get that but it's one of them I don't want to sound like I'm slagging the tournament because the tournament's been fantastic for me personally and I think for boxing it's but Across the two weight divisions, it's made a lot of great fights and you know, champions fighting each other, and you know, that doesn't really happen enough in boxing these days. So it has been great, but the idea of me and George fighting Saturday David is a little bit disappointing for the fans. But for me personally, it's 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 a level playing field. George is travelling the same as me. He'll have to adjust the exact same as me, and he'll have the same atmosphere as me if it's not as good as what it should be. So we'll all have both after with that. So it is a level playing field, and the, the aim for me is still to just go there and do a job the same as I would if it was over in England and I'll become a world champion. But I understand it's probably frustrating for the fans, but that decision was took out to Marlon George's hands to, to second be signed up for the tournament last year. Yeah, of course. I did see an article, I didn't actually click on it, but the headline said, I, mean, I think it was a quote from George Grove saying that he has got the... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? The advantage that the fight's happening in Saudi Arabia. I, I didn't read any more about it, but I thought that was quite bizarre. Um, 
who would you say, Callum, has had the easier route to the final? Obviously, you know, George fought Eubank Jr. That was a great fight. He was much bigger than Jamie Cox, let's be honest, who, who was yeah. relatively untested. Um, both of those fights were both on British soil. You've had to, you know, go on the yeah. road with the last-minute opponent changed and then Eric Skoglund at the Echo. Both undefeated fighters, like I say. Yeah, it's it's how you look at it, I think, from how you look at the two. Then he, he's had that tougher draw to the semi to the final, which fair enough. But I think in young career, you know, was Eubank better than Holskin? Yeah, he was. But was Goglin better than Cox? I believe he was. So I believe I had the tougher call to him. He had the tougher semi final. You know, if Goglin was easier than Cox, then I think he would have picked himself, but he never. So it's one of them. I think they both had a tougher one. In, in each round, but no, doesn't. I'm not arguing that his semi-final was tougher than mine with the last minute replacement. But again, it, I think it all means not. I think it, it's all about the final. We both got here whatever way we have done, and it's a good fight. And I think it's the right final. I think it's the final that most people predicted. Well, I predicted myself personally. I believe George come through that side for draw. And I said he was the champion going into, so he, he's, he's the man I'd like to be for his belt. But Ninety um, percent of people believe he had the tougher run, and yeah, he probably did. But I also feel he's put a lot more miles on his clock than I have as well, Thomas. Is clear. Yeah, very true, very true. Now, you're both boxers. You also both have knockout power. The one obvious advantage for you is your size. You're an excellent body puncher as well. George Groves can crack to the body also. We saw that against Jamie Cox. It should be a brilliant fight. I'm expecting it to probably be the most exciting fight of the tournament, Callum. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. I think stylistically, it should make for a good fight. You say he's got his strength, he's got his weaknesses, and he'll, he'll say the exact same about me. We both, and we both can punch a bit, and say we can both, you know, we both have not healthy air damn body and stuff. And I think the style should gel pretty well. And I'm looking forward to expecting a tough fight, and expecting an exciting fight. And you know, I'll have a good camp, and I'm enjoying training. It's the it's the camp that I've always waited for, so the world title fight was haven't had just yet. So. I'm enjoying training and I'm enjoying you know, studying George and coming up with ways to beat him and to say I'm, I'm excited and I'm looking forward to it and it should be a good fight but it's a fight that I've always liked the George Groves fight it's been talked about a couple of times previous in our career when it didn't materialise and it's probably worked out for the best because now we're fighting for it on the, the biggest belt in boxing the magazine so maybe it's the blessing that it didn't happen previously and you know, now the state's are a lot higher yeah for sure now, I want to ask you, Callum, do you believe you have to be at your absolute best to win this fight? Obviously, some fighters go into fights believing that if they're 70% or 80%, it will still be good enough to beat their opponent. Do you believe you need to be 100% and no less? Yeah, because I've got to expect the best version of George Groves, and I think well, the best version of me beats the best version of George Groves. I'll be underperformed then. No, I may be able to underperform and win, but I can't go into this fight expecting that. It's the biggest fight in fighting the number one in the world at the moment so yeah I've got to expect I need to get my best to win and that's my mentality all through training camp I need to perform I need to be better than what I had previously and I've always said that higher stakes and that bit of fear where there's a chance I'll lose it'll always bring out the best in me and I think this fight will be no different 
And obviously, you started this this tournament as the favourite to go on and win the whole thing. You now find yourself the yeah. underdog against George here. You haven't done anything wrong, but I'm guessing, like you said, the performances that Groves has put in, yeah. I guess, have elevated his chances in the bookmakers' eyes of winning the whole thing. Yeah. Does that bother you at all? Do you like to be an underdog? Where does that lie with you? No, I said it doesn't bother me at all. And even at times in my career, where I've been a massive favourite in fights where I probably shouldn't have been, I've never read too much into it. The only person I ever put on myself is just from myself and my own my own standards and my own expectations. But I always felt that whoever won the Gold Eubank fight is far favourite over me anyway, just for that win. If Eubank had to beat George Groves, then I think he'd to start to favour over me. So it was kind of always what I expected, but in my eyes, I'm the favourite to win it. In George's eyes, he's probably the favourite to win it. It's the book, he's just another man's opinion. And I said that at the start, the tournament went out for favour. It was nice, it's flattering to be favoured when I was world champion in the tournament, but it's just someone's opinion. And as I still have to go and prove them right, and hopefully I can, I can prove them right from the very start of the tournament that I was the favourite to win it, and I am the best man in the tournament, which I do fully believe. Coming down to the last couple now, Callum. In other news, your former foe Rocky Fielding has managed to win a world title by stopping Tyrone Zoiger on the road the other week. I'm sure you're happy for him to have been stopped by you in the first round and to now become a world champion in such a short space of time. Yeah, it was a good win for him. I think after the loss to me, a lot of people ripped him off and then we did really perform in the brass fight or the, the rider fight, but we stuck at it and and regardless of you know, whether people say it's a great title or not to go to Germany and beat Tyrone Zoyger in the way that he did is a good win regardless of what title's on the line so you've got to give him give him credit for that and I think it's put him in the mix for you know, some potential fights with some of the bigger names in the division and domestically so no fair play to him and very unlucky was Beefy the other week against Jaime Munguia. A brilliant performance yeah. from Liam. Some people have actually said that he exposed Munguia a little bit, but credit to Liam, such a brilliant effort. And, you know, he, he proved once again he can give anyone a real gritty and hard night's work. Yeah, I, no, I think I was tired of Liam on the night. It was, a, it was a very good fight from neutral to watch. I think, or stylistically, they both gelled. And it's kind of what we predicted beforehand. And, I think Liam asked a lot of questions of one guy and you know, I think he picked a lot of them and it also, as I say, not exposed him, but I think it showed that he's still a little bit green in certain areas and you now he's not ready for you like the Canelos and stuff, which he was saying before I'm but you know, he's a good fighter, he's only younger, I think he's only going to get better and better, but like I say we were proud of Liam's performance. I thought he I didn't think he did much wrong, I thought he boxed very well. I think the size beat him over the twelve rounds, which you know happens at the very highest level, but I'm sure he can come again and like you said, I think he's proved he can compete with anyone at the highest level. Yeah, all the best, all the best to Beefy. And also, yeah. since we last yeah. spoke, James DeGale lost his world title, won it back, and then vacated it. What's your thoughts on that whole situation? Um, I don't know. It was a bit of a, a, a strange one, given a world title up when, you no, know, if he'd have announced a, a huge fight in the coming weeks after the thing, his hand of, I think, well, fair enough. That was a bigger fight, but he hasn't quite done that. I've seen his link with fighting Rocky Field and now possibly at the end of the year for his regular title. And if that's the case, then you stand to question why did you give up the IGF World title? I don't know. I've seen a lot of people saying it was to avoid his mandatory. He's now full champion. You know, he's a good fighter, but I don't know. I've known James has showed over the years that he'll fight anyone. So, again, I think only James knows the full reason, but I think his reason was he wanted to make the big fights, but 
I think it's a big fight to easier to make when you've got a world title. So it's a strange one, but we'll have to see what, what's down the line for him, whether it's a good move or not. And finally, I know that you're not a brash human being. I know that you like to do your talking in the ring, Callum, but I know that you believe 100% in yourself to win this fight. So I'm going to put it like this. Do you see yourself winning this fight on points or do you see the fight ending before 36 minutes of action in Saudi Arabia? Um, I think it ends before 36. It's been totally honest. I think we've got big punches and I just think he's shown his vulnerabilities over the years and I think if I perform the way I know I can, then I think my power should be enough to trouble them and no I'm not going in there looking for a knockout I believe no, I can beat them out on points but I just think you know, his vulnerabilities in the past I think I can knock him out definitely I've got to believe that I've got to go into this fight believing I can win anyway and no, I genuinely do believe that yeah excellent and just before I let you go Callum is there anything that I've left out at all or anything that I haven't asked you I can't think of anything yeah, no no spot on all good Excellent. Nice speaking well, to you again. Well, like yeah. I say, Callum, as always, it's my pleasure to have you on the show. I'd like to wish you the absolute best of luck in Saudi Arabia on the 28th of September. And God willing, next time we speak, I'll be speaking to the new WBA Super World Super Middleweight Champion. Yeah, that's the plan. Thank you, mate. Speak to you Top soon. Top man, Callum. God bless. Bye, mate. Bye, bye. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. We're going to start, of course, with the news part. Ayaz, take it away. What do you have for us? Um, Eddie Hearn has has just announced a show in Chicago. There will be a fight which will be happening between Jesse Vargas and Thomas Delorme. Yeah, a real intriguing fight, actually. Um, again, I don't think this card is... Well, it's okay. I mean, obviously, you know, the top of the bill, Daniel Roman and Gavin McDonnell, or I should probably say Arta Baturbiev and Callum Johnson. But yeah, it's a decent undercard fight, actually. I see it as a little bit of a 50-50 fight. I think that Thomas Delorme is a real good boxer. And he was, you know, he was in a brilliant fight last time out against Yordanis Ugas. It was just a case of his chin just didn't hold up. Jesse Vargas, obviously not a humongous puncher, but seems like he's hitting hard enough, actually, lately. Um... It's an intriguing fight. I mean, obviously, Delorme, I'd probably say, he's got the... Well, I was going to say he's got the better names on his resume, but when you take into account Jesse Vargas last time out against Adrian Broner, you know, that was a real close fight there, which obviously ended in a draw. So it's a tough one to pick here, but it's a good, good fight. And Thomas Delorme, again, for those that don't know, he's only lost at the highest level. You know, he lost to Crawford, obviously. But it's like his chin has sometimes kind of let him down, actually. And that's what's ended up, um, you know, being the case. Now, last time out against Dennis Ugas, it was a brilliant fight. And I think there was some controversy attached to it. I can't remember what happened now, but it was a good fight. And he was down a few times, actually. Um, both fighters were down a few times. So, um, good fight, actually. I like that one. Could be very fun. I'm sure it will. Um, yeah, good fight there, Ayaz. Thanks for that one. What else? Um, Thomas Adamak with base, uh, Big Baby Jarrah Miller. Yeah, some people kind of heard about the rumours of this fight possibly taking place before it got announced earlier this week. Um, not very happy with this one, to be honest. Jarrell Miller, 21-0 with one draw. Um, Thomas Adamek, 53-5, obviously 41 years of age now. Six foot one and a half. He's not a natural heavyweight. He's up here simply because I don't think he trains as often as he used to. Um, it's, it's just going to be an easy win. I don't really see the point in it. He is coming off a win himself, Adamek, against Joey Abel, but then again, that I don't think that's too much there. He did beat Fred Cassie, a former opponent of Huey Fury. That was in um, November of last year. 
But yeah, I mean, he lost, obviously, most recently to Eric Molina. A bit of a shock loss, actually, but Molina knocked him out in the 10th round. He also lost to Arta Spilka. He also lost to Glaskov. He lost once upon a time to Vitaly Klitschko. He was a good fighter in his day, but I feel like now he's he's not a real good a good heavyweight and obviously he's seen much better days. But um, yeah, I'm expecting a pretty easy win there. Not too over the moon with that one, to be honest. Top rank have signed Saul Rodriguez. Yes, um, this is a real good sign actually, because you know Sal Rodriguez obviously signed with Floyd Mayweather for quite a while. I think he was really happy when he got signed there, but then he was so inactive that he ended up being not too pleased about the whole thing. He was really fighting like once a year and stuff like that. I think he only fought once in 2016, once in 2017. He's been out of the ring for about a year and a half now, and um, you know he's a bright, promising prospect. 21 and 0 with one draw. And, you know, he's he's a kid, really, which was kind of building a lot of momentum at one point, And then he's kind of just completely fizzled out. Some people completely forgetting who he was or who he is, I should say. But he's still young. I mean, he's still young enough, obviously. I think he's 25, maybe 24, something like that. Still young. So, um, yeah, very good that he signed with top rank. And hopefully they'll they'll get him fighting more active. And hopefully we can see how good he really is when he steps up. Luke Campbell will face Yuvan Mendy on the undercard of Anthony Joshua Vispovetkin. The rematch that we've all been really calling for for quite a while. Luke Campbell, his first loss obviously came to Ivan Mendy. A real shock loss at the time. Ivan Mendy's shown us that he's a decent fighter. He wasn't to be overlooked at that time when they did have the first fight. And Luke Campbell really has gone on. And he's had a couple of rocky moments since then. But when he took on Linares, he really showed some character. And this is a rematch that we thought may not happen. It may not happen. But then the WBC kind of forced them to end up having it. And it's finally been announced. It's been a while in the making, I believe. But yeah, it's finally been announced. It's going to be on this show here. And Luke Campbell gets a chance to avenge that loss, which I know that he'll be desperate to try and do there. Um, A great, great fight. A really good fight. Really looking forward to this. And the winner of that fight actually ends up being the mandatory for Mikey Garcia's WBC title at Lightweight. Wait, so brilliant, brilliant stuff there. Even Mendy, 40 wins, 4 losses and 1 draw. Luke Campbell, 18-2. and two. All the very best to Luke. I wish him the best in that one for sure. And finally, Lucas Matisse has retired from boxing. Yeah, very, very um, good boxer in his day, Lucas Matisse. I just want to quickly fly through his record just to give me two minutes here and talk about this guy. I don't want to do him a disservice. He was always one of my favourite fighters to watch. He always brought excitement. He retires with a record of 39-5. and Of his 39 wins, 36 were by knockout. It is a fantastic thing that he did end up winning a world title before he hung his gloves up. He didn't look himself at all when he took on Pacquiao. To be honest, since since he lost to Victor Postel, he'd come back and he didn't really look himself, to be honest. I mean, he knocked out Emmanuel Taylor. He knocked out Tewa Kiran, who had a real padded record. We talk about Michele DiRocco earlier on. Boy, oh boy, this was right up there. 38-0, and Tewa Kiran. He was winning that fight as well until he got knocked out by a weird punch from Matisse. But yeah, last time out against Pacquiao when Matisse was down in rounds 3, 5 and 7, he just didn't seem himself. And it's a shame to go out like that, but it would have been a big money fight. Obviously, we know that he had to travel there to Malaysia. And, you know, he's had a long old career. He's been in a lot of hard, hard fights. But when you look back, and I want to look back particularly to the time where he just looked like he was brilliant. I mean, 
you know, his first loss came to Zab Judah, a very, very controversial split decision loss. He knocked Judah down. Then he lost a very, very controversial split decision to Devin Alexander. He had him down as well in the fourth round there. And then obviously put together a brilliant string of wins. One, two, three, four, five knockouts in a row till he took on Lamont Peterson. This one was in 2013 in May. And Lamont Peterson, if I'm not mistaken, I think he was an IBF world champion at the time of the fight. But for whatever reason they did some kind of catch weight and the belt wasn't on the line and this would have been his chance to become a proper world champion and he knocked Peterson out in three rounds but because the belt wasn't on the line he didn't become world champion he absolutely obliterated Lamont Peterson there and then obviously he took on Danny Garcia I remember that fight there Danny Garcia you know he won a lot of fans that night because he was brilliant that night and then he took on John Molina Jr. And that was one of the best fights of the year by a million miles. That was an absolute dogfight. You know, and then he took on Ruslan Provodnikov. And like I say, he's he's just given us so many unbelievable nights. And for every single second of every single fight, right up until the end, he had that one punch that could just end the fight at any point. It didn't really matter what was going on in the fight, if he was getting outboxed, anything like that. If he landed that right hand at any point... It could just end like that. He could put people's lights out with one punch. But like I say, towards the end, he did certainly slow down. I'm glad he definitely won a full world title there before he retired. And we will miss him. We really will. It's a shame. He got 39 wins. It would have been nice to see him get 40. But it is what it is. We're all fans here of the machina, Mr. Lucas Matisse. Um... All the very best to you, my friend, in retirement. It's a shame to see him and Maidana both leave the sport. Two Argentinian absolute fire-fisted bangers. But yeah, all the very best to him. And let's talk about the previewing now. Not too much to go over here at all. There's been no predictions because there's not too many fights to, to talk about, really. Not many of note. Not really any big fights going on. But let's just scrape the barrel a little bit here and make it interesting. One fight to mention at the Belasco Theatre in Los Angeles, California, USA. A prospect called Hector Tanahara. You've probably heard me say that name a hundred times. His record 14-0. He's in an eight-rounder against Emmanuel Morales, who's 7-2. and two. Someone said a, a couple of weeks a couple of weeks back, why do you keep mentioning Hector Tanahara? You know, he came on the show once upon a time. It was ages ago, and you know he's 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 still undefeated. But you know, no one knows about him. No one knows about him. Why do you keep mentioning him? And I had to say because once you've come on this show once, just one time, that makes you a member of the family for life, a member of the Box Hard family for life. So we will always talk about your fights. Any prospects out there listening, you know what to do. Get on the phone. We will have you over here. Moving over now to Finland, one fight to mention over here. The heavyweight Robert Hellanius, he gets in against Yuri Bikatsu, who has a record of 10 and 16 with three draws. Robert Hellanius, 26 and 2, a man that I do not enjoy watching fight at all, but we must mention it. One crazy fight that's happening at the Celebrity Theatre in Phoenix, Arizona, USA. BJ Flores, 34 and 3 with one draw, takes on Trevor Bryan, who's 19 and 0. Both men are ranked highly in the WBA. And it's it's so bizarre because, you know, let's be completely honest, BJ Flores is not one of the best heavyweights in the world. Trevor Bryan, you're probably asking who's that. He's 19-0 and 0 with 13 knockouts. He's 28 years of age. Um, his best win on his record is probably, I'm just looking at it now, it's probably Derek Rossi. That fight happened in 2015. Um, it was a unanimous decision over 10 rounds. That's probably his best win when he became the NABF junior heavyweight champion. 
Um, it was like an NABF junior title, so not even the full NABF title. He won that, and that's his best win. And he takes on BJ Flores. And believe it or not, the winner of this fights the winner of Frizzo Quindo and Manuel Char. So the winner of Manuel Char and Frizzo Quindo fights the winner of Trevor Bryan and BJ Flores. And whoever wins that becomes the WBA regular heavyweight world champion. Go figure. Crazy stuff, the WBA. And finally, um, I think this is the final bill to mention. No, two more bills to mention. This one's at the Avalon in Hollywood, California, USA. One fight to mention over here. Jesus Rojas, 26-1 and one with two draws, takes on Joseph Diaz, 26-1. and one. It only seemed like a couple weeks back that Joseph Diaz took on Gary Russell Jr. for the WBC title. This one's for the WBA regular title here. Um, Joseph Diaz, a huge favorite in the betting shop and I'm sure that um, he'll probably do the business here. I'm sure he probably learnt a few life lessons in that fight against Gary Russell Jr. And hopefully, if he's improved, he will beat Jesus Rojas, who's not a bad fighter himself. His one loss came early on. He was back in 2008, so almost 10 years ago now. But yeah, he's got a couple of draws, like I say, against guys who probably aren't as good as joseph diaz so a good fight here and his chance joseph diaz to become a world champion um that's a 12 rounder of course and the final bill to mention just one fight to mention actually on this bill another man who's been on the show i think it's twice now actually so certainly a member of the box hard family it's happening at the 2300 arena in philadelphia pennsylvania usa eric hunter 21 and 4 we had him on the show i believe it was last week former opponent of lee selby he hasn't fought since losing to Lee Selby on the 9th of April 2016, he returns to the ring. He was supposed to be taking on a guy who um, was the brother of... What's that guy's name, I has that knocked out Amir Khan once upon a time? The Colombian guy when Amir Khan was undefeated. Uh, Bradis Prescott. Bradis Prescott, yeah. This is actually um, a fight where his brother... Dawless Prescott was supposed to be taking on Eric Hunter, but for whatever reason, Dawless Prescott, I think, fought on the weekend just gone. So obviously he's not fighting him. And in steps a guy who also isn't a bad fighter, but it's probably not as much as a risk to Eric Hunter. But Eric Hunter said he wants the big fights. It's a six-rounder, and he takes on a guy called Fatiu Fasinu, who's 28-10. and 10. Um, I want to just have a look. Well, he's coming off of four losses in a row. One was to Brandon Figueroa. Um, that's probably the standout name, really. Um, yeah, yeah. So I'd, I'd expect Eric Hunter, if he's got anything left, to win pretty handily. Maybe even stop Fatiu Fasinu. All the very best there to Eric Hunter, a friend of the show. Twenty-one and four. Hopefully twenty-two and four this time next week. But that's really it for the preview, and we've tried to go through things as quick as possible. We brought you the first guest. We brought you part one with the review in. We've just done the preview in. Iaz did his job and brought you the latest boxing news. The last thing to do before we wrap up the show, of course, is to welcome our second and final guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former Central Area, former British, former WBO, Intercontinental, EBU, European and WBC Silver Champion. It's of course Mr. Gavin McDonald. Gavin, welcome back on the show, my friend. Good man. Thanks for having me. It's always my pleasure, Gav. It truly is. So we last spoke not too long ago, actually. It was uh, it was the last week of May. At that time, you were preparing for the Stuart Hall fight. On paper, that fight was pretty much, I mean, I don't want to say a 50-50, but it was certainly a 60-40 kind of fight. Um, in the ring, it was anything but that. A very dominating performance from you there, Gavin, against a teak-tough former world champion in Stuart Hall. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
the fight went how I, how I expected it to go, you know what I mean? Uh, but yeah, Stu, he's, he's had a great career and he's a good name to have on my record, you know what I mean? And, and it come at a good time, you know what I mean? We've got a good little bit of momentum um, this year, a couple of big fights, uh, exactly what I needed, uh, knowing that we're potentially going to get a world title shot. They're the, they're the fights I needed, you know what I mean? And, and I'm right where I want to be now. Yeah, for sure. Like I say, a... Uh... A real, a real, you know, tough guy in Stewie Hall. I know that you wanted to try and make a statement, try and stop him, but you know he'd never been stopped, obviously, in his losses. And uh, yeah, best of luck to him in retirement. But moving on to what's next for you, though, Gav. Obviously, it's going to be October the sixth in the states. You'll be challenging for the WBA at World Super Bantamweight title. I know that you've been on the road, obviously, with Jamie a good few times, but this will be your first time fighting abroad as a professional. How are you feeling about that? Yeah. Um... In all fairness, it's just second nature now because I've been on that, that many trips away with our kid, and I'm always, I've always been training or in camp. You know what I mean, I've never been away and, and and not been in training. So to me, it's just like uh, just just another day at the office. You know what I mean, we've, we've we've seen it all, been all over the world, and only difference this time is I've got to get in the ring and 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 fight. You know what I mean, because the emotion I share with our kid and his fights means as much to him as it does to me. So I know what it feels like emotionally, do you know what I mean, to go away, get the wins also, get the the loss now, do you know what I mean? And uh, now it's my time, do you know what I mean? And, and these, these, this is what I wanted, do you know what I mean? I want to be tested. I wanted to go abroad and fight. And I'm just lucky enough that he's out there in the States. And um, it's everyone's dream, do you know what I mean, to have big fights here and also in the States. And, and this is my time now. And this is, I'm going to try to not make this question confusing, but I think I might even confuse myself as I'm saying it. Even though this is an Eddie Hearn card, um, obviously he's been your promoter for many years now. Daniel Roman, the champion, you'll be fighting him. He's just signed with Eddie. So I guess really you yeah. kind of are the away fighter in terms that you've got to travel, but you're not fighting yeah. on a rival promoter's show. Do you feel like an away fighter here or not so much? Um. It's, it's win-win for Eddie. Like, he's got both fighters there. Uh, to me, I don't care. I mean, uh, I won a world title fight and I don't care where it is, who it's, who it's against. You know what I mean? Um, to me, yeah, it feels like I'm an away fighter only because I've got to travel to fight. You know what I mean? But I suppose he is as well. But he's probably a little bit closer probably to home than me. Um, and that they rings a ring. Um, can be from wherever, do you know what I mean? And anybody can win a win a fight, and uh, I'm just glad that I've got it. Do you know what I mean? And it's in states, and Chicago's supposed to be a nice place, um, not LA what we wanted, but uh, nevertheless, a nice place to go to. Yeah, for sure. Now I know that at the moment you're training out in Dubai. Um, I know that you posted something the other day about <laughs> as soon as you walk outside the hotel, you've got a sweat on already. What's the weather like out there? You loving it? <laughs> Yeah, I won't say loving it. Um, I mean, I'm a I'm, I'm a son god myself, but the humidity is just. You know what I mean, like you can't. You just walk out in it, and, and you just start sweating. And we're here, I'm here just for a, a week. You know what I mean, I'm here on, on, on business. I'm, I'm not training. Literally, I ain't got time to really stop and do all. You know what I mean, I'm training two, three, three times a day most days. Uh, I ain't got time to do all, do you know what I mean? So I train, have an hour or two's rest, get get my bag ready to go again. Uh, 
quick week, Monday to Friday, and I'm back. Um, it's one of them, you know what I mean? Uh, quick shoot over Dubai, smash a week's training in, so me and Dave, um, we're getting that quality one-on-one work, and uh, we get back, I get back Saturday, and uh, back into it, swinging things in the UK, you know what I mean? And, and really start knuckling down and start misfiring. Well, I do appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. Um, what do you know about, about Roman Gavin? Obviously, his two losses both came by decision. They were both to fighters who, to be completely honest, were not that great. But then that was a long time ago now. He's certainly come yeah, on leaps yeah. and bounds since then. Yeah. He has. He's on a bit of a roll. Um, he's, he, he had a couple of defeats earlier on. I think he's on a 15-plus uh, win streak at the minute. Um, He's obviously better than he looks. When you watch him, you think, yeah, yeah, do you know what I mean? It can beat him, uh, beat him comfortably. But then I suppose everyone else who he's fought has probably fought same. And out of his last five fights, because I've only lost one between them, like a lot of them unbeaten, he's obviously better than he looks. Um, do you know what I mean? A lot say the same about me. I look easy to beat. And, and then when you get in there, I'm a lot harder than what you think. So. Um, it's one of them. Um, I think the fight will be good, do you know what I mean? And, and I won't underestimate him in the slightest, do you know what I mean? He's obviously better than than, than he looks, do you know what I mean? Uh, and he's world champion for a reason. And uh, I think he's Mexican as well, so obviously they can fight. Uh, I'm just looking forward to it, do you know what I mean? Uh, this, this, is the fight I want. this is the fight I wanted for, for this WB, WBA, I mean, Ray Vargas for WBC. He's got a win over me, but I think it would have took a while to get to mandatory and, 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 and pull that one off. So I'm just thankful that Eddie's pulled this out at bag and, and this is the one I wanted and I'm, I'm more than confident that I'll beat him. Yeah, me too, me too. Now, I want to ask you, have you seen much tape of this guy or is that very much Dave Caldwell's job? Dave watches him more than me. I mean, I, I've watched him, watched a few of his fights. Um, I sort of... I sort of know how to beat him. I've just got to be, just work to my game plan of what to do and make sure I'm focused, do you know what I mean? And, and switch on come fight night and uh, the belief's there. Uh, I know one million percent I'll beat him. Um, but yeah, it's, it's one of them, do you know what I mean? That, that I've got these next eight weeks, I think, put my life and soul into, into my training and do everything as I'm told. And then uh, we fly over there and, and pull out a, a big win. Now, coming down to the last couple of questions, um, you know, your gym mate, Tony Bell, you was crazy when he called out Makabu. He was completely loopy when he called out David Hay. He was completely off the rails when he wanted the rematch against an injury-free David Hay. Now he wants Alexander Usyk. Um, I've stopped writing Tony Bell you off a long time ago. Never bet against him. You know, no one can say what he can't do. He's proved everybody wrong time and time again. Is this another crazy decision from Tony? Should this fight happen, in your opinion, Gav? It's not crazy, no. Um, only because Tony has the power to knock any man on planet out, um, any any man anyway. And if he if he lands one, do you know what I mean it's game over. So it's not crazy, no. Uh, it's not like somebody like me who, who who if you have to knock somebody out, do you know what I mean I ain't got that one punch power? Um, but Tony has. So whoever's got that power, you're in any fight. You could lose. Um, 11 rounds and two minutes best part of the full fight and then land your punch and then you win the fight 
you know what I mean, or one punch changes a fight and he's got that power. Um, you know what I mean? And I genuinely believe if the fight gets made, Tony will pull it out of the bag um, and just put the icing onto a, a great career what he's had and especially the last couple of years where I've known him well, do you know what I mean? I've had some great nights and, and I hope he does uh, get the fight and I genuinely believe he'll, he'll do a job. Yeah, that really would be something. Like I say, you mentioned there about the power. Those three fights I brought up, David Hay times two and Makabu, I forgot to mention yeah. they won all of them by knockout, so you're right about the power. Yeah. Um, what's the latest on your brother Jamie? How's he getting on? Do we know which weight he'll be returning back at at the moment? Um, I think there's, there's, there's talk featherweight. Um, do you know what I mean? He's had a couple of weeks off. Uh, I mean, I don't think he's took it too, too hard, do you know what I mean? Uh, he hasn't took it took it badly. He's just had a few weeks out of the gym. Uh, I know he, he he was ticking over last week, just while we've been uh, this week while we've been away. Um, and and when we get back, do you know what I mean? I'm on that Monday. I'm sure he starts serious training and and we're starting to look for a date, maybe a 10, 12 weeks time um, before Christmas. Um, do you know what I mean? It's one of them. He's uh, going to show his uh, true colours now and. You know what I mean? What a champion he is. He's been over years, and this is where uh, you see what a champion's made of. That um, he can come back and and get another shot at a world title, and, and even win one. Do you know what I mean? He's got the talent. Uh, just needs the belief now. I think a win, will just set him up up nicely. Yeah, I certainly, certainly hope so. And finally, Gavin, is there anything else that I've missed out at all, or perhaps forgot to ask you anything at all? Um, not really. No. Do you know what I mean? I just uh, thank. Just, just thank all the fans. You know what I mean, I've had great support, and uh, it's nice to have everybody back in me. You know what I mean, um, you get odd one or two who doubt you, but don't we all? I'm just glad that I've got a lot of support, and um, and I one million percent bring a world title back to the UK, um, and hopefully along with Callum Johnson too. Hopefully we'll have a good night over there, and the uh, UK will have a couple of new world champions. God willing, my friend. God willing. But listen, Gavin, thank you once again for coming on the show. It's been my pleasure, as always, having you on. And like I say, October the 6th, God willing, God willing, you'll be the new WBA Super Bantamweight Champion of the World next time we got you on the show. Yep, you will have. Do you know what I mean? That, that intro can change slightly. You know what I mean? <laughs> to the new champ. There you, you can go. add the WBA Super Champ to that. Uh, we will. Yeah, uh, look forward to, to speaking to you soon, mate. Okay, and this wraps up episode 147 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. I as Sumra has been I as Sumra. A massive thank you to our two guests on this week's show, Gavin McDonald and Callum Smith. Two boxing families, two boxing men, and potentially two new British world champions when they both challenge for world titles just one week apart. All the very best to Gavin in America and, of course, Callum in Jeddah. The biggest thanks of all goes out to you, the listeners. The Prediction League currently stands at myself, finally on 50 points. Ayaz and the listeners, though, both tied at 53. It's a race to 100, by the way. Remember, if you do get a chance to please, please, please leave us a review on iTunes, it will be greatly appreciated. But more importantly, I'd like to wish you all a fantastic weekend, and we hope to see you all again next week.